Well, tonight marks the culmination of a month-long exploration of the first couple of chapters in the ancient biography written by Luke of Jesus. And we've been looking over the past month at those two opening chapters and have been asking different questions of those, those chapters. What happened and when did it happen and, and where did it happen and who was involved? And all of that leads up to the question that we are asking of those same passages tonight, hinting at along the way, but really addressing directly tonight. And that's the question, why? Why was Jesus born? Why did he come? As we go back and look at the opening chapters of Luke's gospel, uh, they answer that question directly. And first, they do it in very uh, powerful and poetic imagery. You see this in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 78. We're told that Jesus came to earth because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Those are words that were spoken by a Jewish priest named Zechariah at the birth of his own son, John, the one that God had raised up to go before Jesus and to prepare people to hear the message that Jesus would bring. So according to what Luke shares with us in these opening chapters, Jesus is... God sending the light of heaven into our darkness. Have you ever been in total darkness before? It's a rare experience for us today in a world that is flooded with artificial light, porch lights, street lights seeping in around our curtains. We really don't have dark houses, and even if we did, all of our little electronic devices all over the place, our, our uh, routers and our TV sets and speakers and everything else, all the little blue and green and red lights that, that constantly surround us with a glow. So our experience of darkness is very different from the experience that people would have had in the ancient world, where with no electricity and with oil lamps that would quickly have burned out, uh, it was not an unfamiliar thing for them to be in the pitch black. It's really the perfect analogy to describe the spiritual condition of humanity. Because when you are in complete darkness, as some of you know, it's an incredibly unsettling and disorienting experience. You have no idea what you're facing and what is before you, so it creates a reluctance to move, a fear that you might run into something or fall over something or off of something, and you feel helpless and vulnerable, you feel anxious and hesitant, and you can feel small and lost and afraid in the dark. According to the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the scriptures, humanity finds itself in a place of spiritual darkness. Have you ever felt that? I mean, for most of us, our lives are so busy and on the go. We're so involved with so many commitments that we make and and full schedules that we have that often we don't slow down enough to notice what's going on in some of the corners of our interior. But I think when we do, if we're honest with ourselves, we will begin to identify some of the confusion and the anxiousness and the turmoil and disorientation that human beings 
experience when they find themselves in the dark. And those are things that are related to our spiritual condition as human beings. On her debut album, Young Forever, Nessa Barrett sings a haunting and raw song that's called Dear God, in which she cries out in her darkness. Dear God, do you hear me when I'm crying? When I doubt that my soul is worth saving? Can't you hear me say your name? I thought you could help me make myself better, but it hasn't happened. Dear God, don't you hear me when I cry? Have you ever felt that way? Humanity is caught in a place of spiritual darkness. Why is my life the way that it is? What is the way forward? Where do I find peace and purpose? And where is God to be found? According to the scriptures that we're looking at tonight, Jesus comes to bring us out of our darkness and into his wonderful light. With its imagery of light breaking into darkness, Zechariah's prayer takes us all the way back to a promise that was first made hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus and then was reiterated again and again over those years. 800 years before Jesus was born, God spoke through his spokesperson, Isaiah, to announce to those who were trapped in spiritual darkness that light was coming. These may be familiar words to you. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. God renews this commitment to bring his light into our darkness on multiple occasions through other spokespeople, through other prophets that he raises up, including the words of Malachi chapter 4. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy. Zechariah echoes those promises when he prays at the very moment when those words are finding their fulfillment and the light of heaven is just cresting the horizon. Because of the tender mercy of our God, Jesus comes. The rising sun coming to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Well, in what way is Jesus the fulfillment of this promise that light will come into darkness? In Zechariah's prayer in chapter one, we are given three different reasons why God sends his son to us. And each of those three themes is then echoed again in the announcement of the angels to the shepherds in Luke chapter two. So over the rest of the service tonight, we are going to be unfolding these three themes hearing from three different members of the covenant family tonight, and I wish we could hear from more. Hearing how they have experienced Jesus in their own lives as the light of the world. 
But first, I want to invite us to begin with silence and with darkness. Let's remember again the spiritual darkness that is the universal human experience apart from God. And let's invite God again tonight to fill us with awe and with wonder in response to his tender mercies as the rising sun comes to us from heaven and shines on us in our darkness. Let let this ancient prayer be our prayer tonight. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. Enlighten our hearts with the brightness of your glory. Make of us children of the light through whom your light shines and guide our feet into the way of peace to the honor of your holy name. In the opening chapters of his biography of the life of Jesus, in which he tells of the birth of Jesus, Luke uses three word pictures to describe what he means when he says that Jesus comes as light into our darkness. Because of his tender mercies, because he loves us with such a lavish and boundless love, Jesus rescues us from our sins. He equips us for a life lived in his service. And he leads us in a path of peace. So let's look at each of those. First, according to Zechariah, Jesus will come to save us. To forgive our sins and to reconcile us to God. Zechariah repeats the the theme of saving and rescuing again and again in his prayer. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them, which means paying the the price uh, uh, that purchases a person's freedom and setting them free. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his David in the house of his servant, David. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, Zechariah says to his own son, John, for you will go on before the Lord, before Jesus, to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That theme of God sending his son to save us is repeated in the title that the angel gives to Jesus when he announces the birth of Jesus to the shepherds who are out in the fields. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Think about what the words save and rescue mean and what they imply. In the mountains or along the coastlands, we have search and rescue teams that go out to find those who are lost, to to rescue them, to gather them in and bring them home. Luke reminds us that however prosperous and successful and together our lives may appear to be on the surface, spiritually speaking, we are all in trouble and we all need help. The help that, that has to come to us from outside of ourselves. God created us for himself, to live our lives for him and with him. But in spiritual pride, we have wanted nothing to do with it. We've closed the door on God 
And we have set out to live our lives on our own terms. As a result, we've wandered off the path that God intended for us. And that wandering is also known as sin. And we've wandered our way right into trouble. Zechariah's words point to the sort of help that Jesus comes to bring us as our Savior. Jesus rescues us, releasing us from captivity. He forgives our sins, giving us, giving his life to carry away the wrongdoing that stands between us and the God who created us, that no amount of effort on our part could put right. We were made for relationship with God, and Jesus comes to make that relationship with God possible to rescue us into God's arms. I've asked Chris Westgate if he would share with us how he has experienced Jesus as rescuer in his life. Good evening, Covenant family. My name's Chris Westgate. Please allow me to share the story of my first encounter with the Savior and Rescuer of my life. I moved away from everyone and everything that I knew at the age of 19. I'd gotten myself into quite a bit of trouble with the law and moving down a dark and dangerous path that was steadily getting worse. It was more or less on a whim that I joined the Air Force and moved away. In fact, I had just gotten kicked out of my parents' house and was high when I met the recruiter for the first time. I traveled around and accomplished all my training And it was an exciting time for me. But having no faith and no morals to guide my ship, I quickly found myself back in the same lifestyle that I was trying to leave. Religion was something that I spent most of my life ridiculing as worthless. Jesus was nothing more than a crazy man to me. Upon arriving at my first duty station, I began to dive deeper into the sex, drugs, and the alcohol. It was becoming a manic race to an early grave for me. Looking back, I realized that I was medicating some intense fear, shame, and loneliness. The pain was too much, and the tools to deal with it were too weak. I had completely lost my way. Then things started to shift a little bit when I met my wife. Some small part of me awakened that desired life, it desired virtue, and it desired goodness. It was a very feeble light that began to shine, and it was quickly drowned out by the fog and smoke of pain. Then we moved to Colorado together. And there began a very serious battle with every demon that I had. We attended church in a movie theater, and I was the only atheist on the worship team. That's where I met my two best friends, and they were on fire for this man named Jesus, who I had never met. They treated me so well, and they would shared their similar stories with me. They genuinely listened and ministered to my questions, fully confident that everything I was looking for was in Jesus. Yeah, sure, I kept saying. I soon found myself in a battle for spiritual survival, which is a very intense thing for a man to be in. On the one hand, Jesus, the hound of heaven, was coming for me. His pursuit was relentless. But on the other hand, I felt the tangible quality of evil, something demonic, pulling me back into addiction. It was very scary. By day, I was filled with panic, and by night, I was visited by things that hated me, beings that we Christians call demons, real enemies of the soul. I was struggling to hold together my life. Finally, I hit a breaking point in a Walmart parking lot. 
I had left my full cart in the middle of the aisle and ran out to my car in what felt like a battle for my life. It felt as if I was surrounded and under attack. Terrible accusations and bitter slander were being hurled at me. I had no rebuttal because everything they were saying was accurate. These accusers laid claim to my soul, and they wanted to drag me into whatever abyss they had crawled out of. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see. I was thinking of the quickest way that I could end my life. I was greatly distressed. But then I heard this voice say, Chris, my name is Jesus. I can help you, but you have to let me. At that point, all the powers of reason had fled, and I was quite desperate for anything to save me, even if it was a crazy man who claimed to be the Son of God. And that's when I decided to give up all the resistance I had built over so many years. I begged him to please help me, and he did just that. He vanquished my enemies and declared, Enough, you can't have him. This man belongs to me now. And that was the first time I ever experienced what having a Savior of my very soul was like. From that day on, I knew I would follow this crazy man for as long as I lived. If he had rescued me once, he was, he's done it a thousand times since, and he will continue to rescue me until I can run headfirst into his arms. My friends were right. Everything I was ever looking for in this life was in that blessed baby Jesus. Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Jesus brings God's light into my spiritual darkness. He came as Savior, rescuing me from the captivity of sin, forgiving me, and reconciling me to God. Thanks be to God. Here's the second way that Luke tells us that the light of heaven will break into our spiritual darkness when we open our lives and our hearts to him. Jesus comes to rescue us, but Jesus, Jesus also comes as Zechariah reminds us to rule over us as king and to equip us to live our lives in God's service in a way that reflects him and pleases him. Zechariah says that the light from heaven will rise to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And that theme is echoed in the other titles that Jesus used to describe Jesus in his announcement to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. Because of the cultural distance between the ancient Middle East and our world today, we can miss the significant significance of those titles. Both the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christ mean the same thing, which is the anointed one. In the Western world, when it comes time to establish someone as a ruler, kings were crowned. But in the biblical world, when it came time to establish a person on the throne, kings were anointed with oil. So whenever we hear the title Messiah or Christ used to describe Jesus, we should think of him in terms of our king. Jesus comes as king and Lord, calling humanity to become his subjects and to live their lives for him in a God-honoring way that reflects his presence in their lives and his purposes in lives of holiness and of righteousness. Jesus didn't just come to rescue us, to bring us out of something, to pay for our sins. 
and to forgive us. He also came to redeem us, to bring us into something, to purchase our lives for himself and to bring us into his service. Because of the tender mercies of God, Jesus the King comes to bring us into the joy of a life lived for him and to equip us for that life lived in his service. I've asked Frankie Kong if he would share with us tonight how he has experienced the light of Jesus in his life as he has come to know Jesus as King and Lord. Frankie. Hi, everyone. My name is Frankie. Um, I grew up in a Christian home in Hong Kong. When I was younger, being the first and only person in my family to attend high school and speak English, I often felt alone and not understood, driven yet helpless. My focus on studying led me to stop attending church in grade 9. But one thing that I learned in Sunday school really stuck with me when I faced challenges, which was to ask myself, what would Jesus do? It was a good question to ask, except each time I asked a question, I felt even lonelier and more frustrated because the question made me feel like everything was about me and my ability to act like Jesus. Of course, my failure added to the feelings of judgment and not being good enough, which further drove me away from church and the Lord. But God did not give up on me. He pursued me in college and invited me to love and pursue him. I was encouraged to ask not what would Jesus do, but what does Jesus want? With this question, I was convicted and reminded how deeply Jesus wants me. Jesus came to this world and died on the cross because he wants me. This life of love with Jesus as my king is a life call to serve him, to live my life for him, not in an effort to earn his love, but as a response to his love. Over the past few years, being part of our covenant family, I've been blessed by many who show me how to live this life of loving Jesus, including one that has challenged me to live my life for him every single day, and her name is Uni, my cat. Uni likes walking around the house following me. She enjoys rubbing her cheeks and tail against my feet. When I go somewhere outside, she would wait at the door. When I work at home in front of my computer, she would sit on my desk just to watch me with a very steady gaze. When I rest on my couch, she approaches me quietly, sits next to me, purrs, and gently leans against my body, as if she's telling me I'm the most important thing to her and she lives for me. Do I have the same level of patience, attention, affection, and devotion to Jesus? How would I make Jesus feel important in my life? How do I truly live a life that follows Jesus as King and Lord? God uses these questions to, cha- to change my actions and perspective. Now every morning I enjoy my prayer time just to tell Jesus I love him, that I want to live a life for him and with him. Home becomes not just a place for me, but also for others. Hospitality is not so much about feeding people food as much as it's cooperating with Jesus to feed people's souls. At church, I learn not to focus on what I can gain or contribute, but to practice listening to God and prepare myself to say, I am here whenever God calls on me. In my career path as an academic, I'm discovering that there's a different way to think about the future than in terms of my own advancement um, and making a name for myself. Let me share this story from just a year ago during Christmas. I was interviewed by another university for my dream job. I was torn, confused about what I would do if I did receive an offer. Then it was right after last year's Christmas Sunday service, I went home to make lunch. 
accidentally cut my finger and had to go to an urgent care because I couldn't stop the bleeding. Um, the clinic was too busy to treat me in at least an hour, so I sat in the lobby, still wearing this um, coffin and shirt, uh, except it's covered all in blood, and holding my finger um, high like this um, to slow the bleeding. Um, it was then in the lobby, uh, full of people rushing in and out when everything on the outside was so fast and chaotic. I felt that sense of warmth and security that somehow sitting still and pointing toward um, Jesus just like this felt so right and peaceful. It was like God was telling me to stay put and my job is to simply, simply point people to him. Because Jesus is my king, I feel growing freedom to let Jesus show me where and how he wants me to serve him and let my concern be with making a name for him. This Christmas Eve, I'm encouraged and reminded that our life is not about us, it's about him. We are his, Jesus has come for us, and our king is here. Our work is to continue to draw closer to him and his work, which he graciously carries out in us by his spirit is to equip us to live our life in his service as people whose hearts belong to and reflect his. Jesus bring God's light into my spiritual darkness. He came as Messiah and King, leading me into a life lived for his sake and in his service. Thanks be to God. Luke shares that there's one more way that the light of Christ coming into our lives drives away the spiritual darkness when we open our hearts and our lives to him. Jesus also comes, as Zechariah tells us, to bring us into a life of peace and purpose. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The company of angels reiterates this as another reason that Jesus comes from heaven. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. We hear behind these words of Zechariah, the promise given to through Isaiah hundreds and hundreds of years before that there will be one who comes to drive away the darkness, comes as a little child given to us, who will be known as the Prince of Peace. Behind this word for peace is the Hebrew idea of shalom, which has a much deeper meaning than a mere absence of conflict or frustration. It refers to things being the way that God intended them to be, Men and women flourishing in their individual lives and with one another because things are rightly ordered in their hearts and as God intends. When Jesus came, he began spreading that peace one person, one life at a time. When he steps into the life of a man or a woman or a young person, he begins to, to, to clean up the brokenness and the disorder in, on the inside of that person and to put things back in their right place with the affections and the values and the priorities that God intends that we would have. And when he does that, our experience more and more is a life of peace and purpose, of flourishing and completeness, regardless of the joys or the challenges 
of our specific circumstances. Because of his tender mercies, Jesus has come to us as Savior to rescue us from our sins and to bring us into freedom. He has come to us as King to equip us for a life lived in his service. And he has come to us as Prince of Peace to lead us in the path of peace. And I've asked Summer Winrote to share with us how she has experienced Jesus as her Prince of Peace. Good evening. Um, as David approached me about this, I, I thought it was a little funny because this is um, something, resting in Jesus' path of peace, that doesn't come naturally to me and historically hasn't been a very strong part of my Christian experience. I often struggle with making choices and taking the next step, dealing with questions like, how do I know my purpose and what if I make a wrong choice and where do I go from here? And the reality is that I've learned over time is by sheer will, there's no way that I can live a life of self-created peace. So that's why I need Jesus' peace, where when I don't know where to turn, where to go, which next step to take, he leads me in that peace. So as I've sought out Jesus' peace, a few key ideas have stood out thinking about different scriptures. As spoken about in Psalm 139, God intentionally created me. He intentionally created me. And all of the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them ever came to be. And in Matthew 10, he reminds me that he knows me and he promises to care for me, even going so far to remind me that he knows the number of hairs on my head. And for you with long hair, you know that that's kind of crazy because the minute you take a shower, that number changes. The minute you brush your hair, that number changes. The minute you put your hand through your hair, it changes. But yet he knows every single moment how many hairs are on my head. There are so many stories that I could tell you about what I've been um, struggling with and what I have gone through in terms of going from the darkness and into the light in terms of peace and purpose. Um, some of you may know, some of you may not know, I taught uh, secondary math for almost 14 years. And a couple of years ago, I um, left the classroom and I went to work at Purdue. And the day I left the classroom was the day I lost purpose. Um, I was struggling to know what my impact was. Um, when I was in the classroom, every single day I had 100 plus students and they were my impact, they were my purpose. And so what I realized very quickly is that that was the purpose that the world said was purpose. It wasn't necessarily what God said was purpose. While there are really great purposes out there, it might not have been the purpose for me. And so how did I know what my purpose was? Working at Purdue, I took a job that I knew had an end date, and that end date was September 30th. And what ended up happening was, as I got closer and closer, um, I started looking for jobs, and I started to say, what is my purpose? How do I know my purpose? Um, what if I make a wrong choice in looking for jobs? Do I go back to the classroom? And I was filled with, as, as David described earlier about darkness, I was filled with confusion. I was filled with anxiousness. I was filled with turmoil, the fear of stepping down the wrong path or stepping off the cliff. So what did that look like? And to go even a step further, as I started seeking out jobs, um, while I didn't get the first job I applied for, not uncommon, I started applying for other things and what happened was I was in the running for two jobs and I actually turned down one to pursue the other. And it was very clear that God was leading that. As he was opening doors, um, I had peace in each decision as I was following the Spirit's lead on that. 
something that I never thought I would have had even two years ago, <laughs> definitely not 10 years ago, is I like to analyze everything, uh, and it takes about 12 years to make a decision. So what I learned was that it's not about trying to determine what my purpose is five years from now. It's saying yes to the Holy Spirit for my purpose and the next decision. And it's saying yes to determining my purpose in that next moment. So during this whole season over the last nine months, specifically over the last two, um, I had had to deal with the anxiety and the fear that have crept up, the opposite of Jesus' peace. And what I've learned and what I've consistently been leaning into, and the more often I do it, the quicker the peace of Jesus takes hold. And I'm going to read this pretty verbatim because this is what I read, or this is what I say. And when I say it, I move on, and that peace is with me. I say, God, you knew me before I was created. You knew me yesterday. You know what today holds. You know tomorrow, and you know me 10 years from now. I don't need to worry. May I rest in your peace. Jesus brings light into my spiritual darkness. He came as a prince of peace, guiding my feet in the path of peace and purpose. Thanks be to God.